Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware dot com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals welcome to 500 greatest songs a podcast based on rolling stones hugely popular influential and sometimes controversial list i'm Brittany spanos and i'm rob sheffield we're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great from classics like fleetwood max dreams to the ronettes be my baby and modern day classics like the killer's mr brightside listen to rolling stones 500 greatest songs on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's the time of the week again where we are fortunate enough to share with you, our fellow conspiracy realists, uh, letters from the best part of this show, your fellow listeners. Uh, today's adventures are going to take us into some shady government activities, uh, some astonishing real-life adventures on the high seas, and they're going to take us to a hole, a very big hole. The name of it is, it's literally called the big hole. <laughs> it's true. It That's is. So it well is. done, Ben. Uh, too, too kind, too kind, Matt. Um, we are always, the whole crew over here at Stuff They Want You Know is always fascinated with the hidden aspects of of the world. And if you live in a city of any size, as we've discussed in the past, there are most certainly places that the average person doesn't know about. Seemingly innocuous buildings, 
Uh, we, we did a whole series on these in New York uh, for a previous live tour. This was in response to our Restricted Zones episode. Uh, would you guys li- like to go there? This, this story is a little close to home for us. Mm, take me to the zone, Ben. Take me to the hole. <laughs> let's, let's go. We're going to do it with some help from our pal Thomas T. Thomas, you wrote the following. Hey, guys, longtime listener, love the content. I know you all have covered bunkers before, but not sure if you have ever covered the big hole in NC, North Carolina. It's an at t facility built in the 60s. This sounds kind of familiar already, right, guys? <laughs> in, a, in a rural area outside of Chapel Hill. It is supposedly, according to Thomas, 13 stories deep with blast-proof ceilings, floors coated in copper across 200 acres with fencing, guard gate, vehicle barriers, all the hits, originally constructed as part of the government's plan for communication continuity post-nuclear slash EPM blast via the Autovon switching network. Thomas goes on to say there are multiple sites such as this one throughout the U.S. I just happen to be from the general area and clearly have an affinity for all things strange. And Thomas goes on to say it's possible that technology made this communication obsolete. But he also asks, what about the rise in hacking and and cyber warfare events lately? Uh, Is that why the facility is still being kept up? Or are these sites just used to house expensive communication equipment? All the toilet paper we couldn't find during COVID? Uh, Are they used as high-level government fallout shelters? Is there something more sinister? And Matt Knoll, this is where Thomas points out something I thought was fascinating. The site was apparently shut down or shuttered, mothballed in 2008. But right before it, uh, right before it shut down, the rumor has it that the facility had a $61 million upgrade right before it was closed. Sketchy. That's sketchy, Yikes. right? Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, I'd love to know if if it's just been shuttered, it's still government land. Mm-hmm. I highly doubt anyone can just, you know, stroll around and take a gander at it. But uh, hmm, how much? Sixty-four million. Sixty-one million. Sixty. Sixty million dollars <laughs> dropped it into the big hole. Mm-hmm. It's just a safe now. That's what mm-hmm. it is. And Thomas, you had asked us uh, to take a deep dive on this and related facilities, and there very well could be. Uh, a very deep rabbit hole here, even more than 13 stories deep, because what this is, is something known as a project office. And remember, folks, it's uh, the position of our show that if you find a government agency that has a really innocuous name, the odds of them being up to something are higher than normal. You know what I mean? Like the more innocuous the name. Sketchier it's the same me. with government operations too, right? Like Operation mm-hmm. Sunshine Picnic Party. Mm-hmm. That is probably some sinister shit. Mm-hmm. Like Operation Fresh Pies and Fuzzy Hugs is yeah. all about stealing eyeballs. <laughs> Operation Freshly Cut Grass. Yes. Uh, we should just make a list. We'll accidentally, we'll we'll accidentally stumble across a real one. I'm sure. Oh, I'm certain. So, a project office is uh, it's kind of an umbrella term for these facilities that were made by AT&T in the middle of the 20th century to house these ongoing 
secret projects in collaboration with the government. They're not necessarily bad things, but there are a lot more out there than a lot than many people are aware of. Uh, they've been building these since the 1960s. And as we discussed in our episode on the Long Lines building, whenever we mentioned it there in the middle of Manhattan, ATT has never officially said what they do in in these facilities. Uh, they have vague, uh, <laughs> they have vague descriptions. Like I, I kid you not, one of their descriptions, uh, if you ask them, "Hey, what's a project office?" then they'll say, "Oh, those are um, central facilities." Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And then, and then communication then, like, hubs. <laughs> and then in fine print, it says, "Mind your own beeswax." You know. <laughs> yes. Just so, yeah. The uh, so the one that Thomas is talking about specifically is a project office located in North Carolina, just 11 miles south of Chapel Hill. And a lot of people in North Carolina, apparently, according to the story, don't even know this exists. If you can see uh, some aerial photographs of the building, let me send these to you guys in the chat. Here you go. I'm looking at it on this website only in your state. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And you can get you can get like the some on the ground pictures of the turnoff toward this facility. You guys, when you're looking at, I'd love to hear what you think when you're looking at the overhead satellite images. What, what do you see? Does it does it seem suspicious, or does it just seem like any other place? I this is what I see: a ton of trees, just forest, and then out of that forest. Someone has taken a giant god-sized lawnmower and just cut an interesting little shape into that forest. Mm-hmm. And in there, I see two buildings and some street. Yeah. Operation Freshly Cut Grass. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it's crazy. It looks like a it looks like a weird plankton or something. Like the shape of it that it's cut out is very odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely, I mean, what, what do you think these, I see there's obviously a road, an access road, like one very skinny access road leading up to it. Uh, it looks like a giant tennis court kind of actually from the, uh, aerial view. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's astute. This is one of those, this is one of those places where it feels like, and this is entirely my speculation, uh, they found a Goldilocks zone, right? They're able to collate and collect data that's coming from from Chapel Hill, right, as well as many other places, but they're far enough away that if you are driving there and the area is, if it wasn't shuttered, then the guards would have uh, more than ample time to see you coming. That's part of the design, right? That's the old Area 51 thing, right? (laughs) It is. It is. Don't go to Area 51. Folks, again, I feel like we have to say this every time we bring this up. The government is legally allowed to kill you. They will typically give you a warning, but if you persist, I'm not saying they will. I'm saying they can't. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they're, they're they're supposed to shoot to wound, but you know, things happen. Well, things they can happen. see you from a long, long way away, which is the whole point of bringing it up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we know this firsthand because uh, we've got a friend of the show who actually went up to Area 51 and didn't didn't quite. He didn't violate the trespassing stuff, but he got got close to some of the signs. And uh, then he he has a terrifying story of what happened afterwards. But he's fine. He made it. This kind of situation 
is something that you could find yourself in very easily and perhaps by accident, uh, as unbelievable as that may seem. So people typically believe that this is, this is all speculation, but people typically believe that this is a part of the NSA's mass surveillance hub. You know, um, like the, the AT&T building, the windowless building in Manhattan has long been suspected to be the, uh, the HQ for something called Titan Point. Mm. So it could be, it could definitely be something like that here. So the term long lines, I know when we did that, uh, that story, or actually it was part of a live show, I think, about that windowless building in Manhattan, we called it the AT&T long lines building. But I think long lines is more of a generic term. So like this is what they would call a long lines hut. Um, mm-hmm. that's on this piece of property. And it's because it houses very sensitive data and connections even, I think. And so it needs to be blast proof uh, in order to uh, prevent massive communication outages, correct? Yeah, that's part of it. it. It doesn't specifically have to be something military. It could just be protecting the communication structure. Uh, but you are absolutely correct. There are many more huts like this out there. And one of the one of the most interesting things about this is that it's tough to know for sure whether whether it actually is closed, you know, and it may have been it it could have been sold. We simply don't know. That's what would make sense to me if there were a massive upgrade, because it's kind of like, you know, you fix up your house before you sell it. Right. So maybe something like that. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to err on the side of caution by, you know, and not get too carried away saying the, the, you know, pointing out the badger in the bag here, which is that you cannot trust the government when it comes to spying. I just sort of, I'm working on, I'm working on this guys, but I always start off with the baseline, like, yeah, they're doing it for spying. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, the, sort of the name of the spying game. There's not a whole lot of trust between spies, you know. Um, yeah. But, like, this is a question for, for both of you. Um, how in bed do you think AT&T and massive telecom companies like them are with the government? Allegedly, and I don't know if you guys recall this from that long lines discussion we had, allegedly the long lines building is where the NSA essentially spliced into all of AT&T's traffic and then Ooh. doubled it, essentially. Um, and that was a long time ago. That's allegedly what happened, according to, you know, whistleblowers. But I, I, you'd have to think, because of the history of AT&T and the United States government with things like this and the Autovon network, uh which was the the Cold War thing that was supposed to uh, maintain the continuity of government if a nuclear blast occurred. You'd think that they're working pretty closely together, and who knows how that's changed with uh, the the NSA's rise to, I don't know, domestic surveillance power. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's the question. We also, you know, we just don't have a lot of visibility on this. And Thomas... Um, you know, you're absolutely right that very few people are aware of not just the big hole, but also largely unaware of the existence of these of these facilities in general. Uh, just to add some more conspiratorial spice to the story about whether or not this is closed down, this is kind of Schrodinger's hole at this point. Uh, <laughs> local media at the time 
noted that in, in 2008, uh, there were multiple convoys of trucks that were moving stuff away from the site over the course of several weeks. And the specifically, I'm thinking of the Charlotte Observer, which uh, in 2008 released a piece called Mysterious Cold War Bunker Closes. And this is where you get a little bit of a glimpse into the local speculation about this because people, you know, locals knew about this and they were saying, well, I bet it's missiles. And then, of course, there's someone saying, I bet it's UFOs. And there are other people who are just saying, I don't know what's going on in there. Uh, but as a uh, citizen of the U.S., I'm sure paying for part of it. This this yeah. bunker, I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like it's necessary. But also, guys, it feels like if you spend that much money building something like this, are you really just going to abandon it? No, and, and, uh, uh, no, you're not. You you honestly aren't, especially because of what it can do or what it was designed to do. According to War History Online, who knows uh, how reliable the information is here, but according to this site, these bunkers were were created for that Auto Vaughn system, the automated voice network, mm -hmm. the automatic voice network system, which was installed in the '60s. Uh, and there were hubs all over the place across the United States, and these specific places allegedly, I don't have this information uh, airtight, but allegedly these bunkers were the primary hubs for this system. Again, in the case that the Soviet Union or another power is able to detonate a nuke in Washington or one of the other you know, central mm -hmm. areas of power within the United States, these things would continue communications via all these hubs, these other hubs. And I, I don't see why you would shut that off, man. Real you know, life I can imagine phones. shutting down. Real life bat phones. Like they were even less. <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, it really is an emergency system and I can't imagine completely shutting it down unless there's a, and there probably is, a fully, fully functional, much better system that costs less money from a facility standpoint. But isn't there though? I mean, mm -hmm. this is, this, these were all built pre fiber optics, right? Like, yeah. so this would have been like what's called trunking technology or, or uh, like these massive bundles of these uh, interconnected networks of uh, between switchboards essentially. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, there is a better technology, right? Well, yeah, yeah. but it, if you've already got the land, you've already got, you know, a secure as hell facility like this mm -hmm. underground, mm -hmm. like it says, a skyscraper just pointed down. Um, I don't know. It feels like you could make use of that space. Oh, hundred percent. It's know? not for the original <laughs> intended purpose, perhaps, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's also, didn't we talk about how like, wouldn't execs be, they would go there in the event of some sort of nuclear fallout. And there was like ping pong and stuff, you know, like they had like, like amenities in the long lines building in Manhattan anyway. Yeah, there were there. That's another important aspect, because what we know about these facilities uh, does seem to indicate the possibility of housing people in emergency situations. And we know that the U.S. government does have uh, federally funded facilities of that nature uh, for you know members of Congress and so on, because they need to ensure the continuity of government if bombs start falling, which, of course, we hope never happens. I, I want to point out, though, Matt and Noel, you're you're onto something here, uh, because in the 1990s, the U.S. government did switch from Audubon to something called the Defense Switched Network, 
which I believe is still in use today. And so it's it's completely possible that when Autovon went out of vogue, that the that there was a decision made just to shut it down. And this is something we can explore in depth in the future. But just to wrap this up, I want to let everybody in North Carolina know that uh, Thomas' story is completely true as far as we can tell. Thank you for letting us know, Thomas. And the building is creepy because if you drive up there now, you'll see the gates are still locked, the fences stand, there are cameras Uh, But the intercom system is disconnected and there's no one manning the guard booth as far as we know. Your mileage may vary. Stay safe out there. Uh, Let us know if there are any creepy restricted zones in your neck of the global woods. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor and we'll return with more listener mail. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
And we're back uh, with with more uh, listener mail. And this one comes to us from Cynthia, who says, guys, love your show. I thought this was an interesting piece of news. Not really sure if it's show worthy, but you guys seem like you would get a kick out of it. Uh, and Cynthia, you're absolutely right. This is already on our radar. We even mentioned it, I think, in the last Strange News episode at the top, just as a tease, um, but didn't get into it. So here we go. I have had the song My Name is Jonas stuck in my head all day. My kid recently just got into Weezer um, and she bought the right album, the blue, the blue one. Uh, she's been collecting vinyl, but we've been rocking that out the house and I just can't get it out of my head. And that is appropriate. Is it Jonas or Jonah? It's Jonas, I think. Um, but this story is about a real life Jonah and the whale. Or I, I think uh, in the Bible, um, it is referred to more as a very large fish, but that may have just been, you know, the practical knowledge of the time. They didn't really know what to call it. That's kind of what a whale is. It's a really large fish. doesn't have gills, though. It has to surface to breathe, um, but it has massive lung capacity. And today we're talking about a humpback whale, which uh, I believe can be upwards of 50 feet long um, and weigh, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds, several tons, if I'm not mistaken. And a uh, unfortunate yet incredibly lucky lobster diver um, in Provincetown, Massachusetts, uh, which is apparently a really beautiful, lovely spot to, to visit. I would like to check it out one day. Was doing what he does every day. It has been for a long time. The guy's like, I think in his mid-50s, diving for lobsters. And I guess there's a couple ways to catch lobsters. One is with those crazy traps that you see, the boxy ones. And then another one is just to dive down and literally just grab them with your hands um, from the, uh, the, the bottom of the, of the, of the ocean um, in, you know, shallower areas off the coast. Um, and he was doing that. Um, well, you're diving, so it's not like super shallow. Uh, and also it wouldn't, it couldn't be super shallow because he had a very fortuitous encounter with a humpback whale uh, in that he was swallowed by one. And ended up in the mouth of this whale. It wasn't a full Pinocchio situation where, you know, he ended up literally in the belly of the whale. Uh, and then, like, I think he lit a candle or something and made the whale sneeze. And that's how he got out. Um, he was just in the, the whale's mouth, which, while massive, would, would, would still be, you know, it wouldn't be like he could, like, walk around. You know, he was definitely, he said he felt something force his legs together. And then all of a sudden was plunged into darkness. Um, I can't imagine. I, I think I've mentioned on the show before, specifically, I think in our sleep paralysis episode or when we were talking about like nightmare people, I have a, a recurring dream often where I, I find myself out in the middle of the ocean and there's like some massive presence, you know, that I can't Ooh. see. Uh, the idea of unseen, you know, monsters like under the water, just under the surface really freaks me out. Um, but... It turns out that whales are actually pretty chill. You know, sharks are predators, obviously, and they seek out prey. Uh, they often mistake, or they can mistake humans, uh, especially like I think paddling in canoes or kayaks, yeah. for example, as uh, uh, turtles, or sea turtles. And so they'll, they'll come at you. But typically sharks, I don't think, unless they're provoked, won't just come at you out of nowhere unless they do mistake you for their natural prey. But um, whales will actually avoid humans. They'll actually, you know, uh, outmaneuver humans or, or try to maneuver so they don't encounter them, so they don't run into them. Um, so the, you know, the idea here is that this whale made a mistake. <laughs> this whale did a, did a bit of an oopsie because the way whales feed 
is they just like shoot through the water with their massive unhinged jaw just kind of sucking up everything in its path. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, krill and you know tiny squid and, and small fish and, and plankton and things like that. They're, they don't eat like large sea creatures at all. It's all just like tons and tons and tons of these smaller sea creatures that they can just kind of sh- just gobble up or really it's just like this massive intake of water and then that's that's how they eat. And dude just got was in the exact wrong place at the wrong time and got caught up in that very thing. I wonder, you know, I I had a song stuck in my head after this news broke and and I wonder if he's heard the Mariner's Revenge by the Decemberist. Mm-hmm. I, I bet he super vibes to that song now. Isn't um, this sort of a Moby Dick-esque story? Very much. It's literally mm-hmm. about being, it's a revenge story on the high seas uh, where wherein the protagonist, and spoilers, the villain, are both eventually swallowed by a whale. It's right. a it's a long song. It's not like radio friendly, but it's a it's a blast if you if you get a chance to check it out. Uh this you, you know what amazes me about this story, Noel, is that what what we're seeing here feels like an an accident right because as you said the humpback whale essentially vacuums through the sea in search of krill uh but another point i feel like we should make about uh sharks in general is sharks don't want to eat you actually a lot of animals don't want to eat people we're super inconvenient we probably don't taste that great and and uh as dangerous as shark attacks can be uh, i i always think it's it's worth noting that for the shark, it's like you're walking in a grocery store and you see a free sample of something and you take a bite of it and then you go, ugh, gross. Like, right. <laughs> like that's most shark attacks, I think, are like one bite, right? Well, mm-hmm. and again, the life of a whale, is, I mean, it seems at least in terms of like their culinary, you know, life, uh, kind of dull. It's like, do you think they even taste their food? I mean, they're just kind of like inhaling it. You guys, I'm on au.whales.org, and I know we're talking about baleen whales, right? The ones that don't have teeth, not the toothed whales. Right. We're talking about the sifters. The 100%. -hmm. They're like practically filter feeders, right? Isn't Mm -hmm. that essentially what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And honestly, I, I've learned a little bit about them over over the last four years just because of my son's interest in whales. But it, oh, cool. There are, you know, there's, well, and just all creatures, right? Creatures on Earth are fascinating. And for a little kid, it's and it's incredible to learn about all these different things that are real, and mm-hmm. the, not just these made-up monsters. Uh, but, but in this case, the baleen whales, like uh, right whales, humpbacks, fin, uh, uh, fin whales, gray whales, they all do kind of different things, but exactly what you're talking about there, Noel, um, it's like it depends on if they filter it at the mouth level, at the stomach level, mm-hmm. or the the plate level, which is kind of like if you just imagine it's their filters where the water gets pushed out and all the little creatures get caught in. Uh, but yeah, fascinating stuff. Learn about whales today. Hundred uh, percent. There's a there's a new documentary about whales on Disney Plus. I think. Mm. Um, because I, I think they own not Discovery, but. National Geographic mm-hmm. as well, or it's it's uh, there's a section for National Geographic stuff on Disney Plus, but um, really interesting and terrifying, but also at the same time, like I said, they they are gentle giants of the the ocean or whatever. Yeah, so so this humpback whale, which oh, based on their intelligence, probably does have a name for itself. 
in, mm. in terms of like how it communicates. Their, their intelligence is fascinating. But uh, this humpback whale, definitely gentle giant. But our unfortunate Jonah here uh, was very, very lucky because the creature could have easily accidentally uh, grievously injured or killed him because its tongue alone weighs four tons. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What's the total weight for for one of these fellas? They're about 50 feet long, like I was saying, and I I said Mm. tons. I was very vague, but God, I had no idea the tongue alone was tons. uh, 40 tons about, or 36 metric tons. Man. They're they're big boys. I saw in an interview with that guy that he said that he thinks it actually was like a younger whale that didn't quite know how to feed mm-hmm. correctly yet. Yep. Was going to add that, um, and was a little bit smaller. So that could also explain why this young, like he said, he thought it was about a teenager, <laughs> right? On. And was just like sort of like swimming around with his mouth open, like still learning how to feed, and then was like, "Oh, shit, there's yeah. a person in my mouth." You're absolutely right, Alexis, uh, and that is a really good point because um, this little fella, relatively speaking, um, might have not really known quite what he was doing and was a little bit less experienced in in uh, in, in feeding. Um, and it would have accounted for the fact that maybe like a larger whale, the mouth would have been, he, he may have, have been like digested, you know? He could have actually gotten sucked down into the actual belly. But if it's a smaller whale, because he could feel the pressure of the mouth and I'm picturing, you know, a 40 ton creature that mouth is probably going to be much bigger than a human because, you know, you've seen um, images where you have the whale and then a, uh, you know, scale for for scale purposes, like a, a diver, you know, a little little infographics. And uh, I feel like he would have not felt the pressure of the mouth with a larger whale, but he did. Um, and then he apparently the, the whale dove and then realized something was wrong. Like, oh, what is this? Like, it's just like getting like a popcorn kernel stuck in your teeth, only like way more extreme. And so then the whale surfaced and or at least started going up and expelled the guy from his mouth. And he saw the light and was rescued by someone who saw the whole thing go down. Um, they he said he thought his legs were broken. Um, the, the diver um, whose name, by the way, I don't think we, we mentioned his name is Josiah. <gasps> Very close to Jonah. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Mayo. Um, he said he thought his legs were broken. And then his buddy, who was a fellow diver, was worried that he may have gotten an embolism from surfacing too quickly because that's mm-hmm. a thing that can happen. Is that the bends? It's some kind of form of the bends or it's more extreme where you get if you surface too quickly, uh, the pressure doesn't have a chance to even out correctly and it can cause a brain embolism or at the very least that sensation uh, called the bends. Um, but he was fine. He got rushed to the hospital. He didn't have any grievous injuries. Like he said, Ben, he had some real bad bruising around his legs. And I think he dislocated his knee. But um, he did he did an AMA on Reddit. Like, the guy's fine. And there's a really adorable picture of him in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Give him the thumbs up. Yeah, he looks like a happy camper, man. I, I think I would be. I don't know. I wonder what you guys think. I think this would be obviously highly traumatic for anybody. But... Uh, I think it might break me psychically. I think it literally might break my brain. But also then the the relief of not being dead, because he literally you know thought he was going to die. Uh, and he said he, the first thing he thought of were his sons. Um, but he didn't die. So do you think the not dying thing would kind of like trump the, <laughs> the, trauma- the traumatic nature of the whole experience? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because he... Because he made it through the fire, or in this case, he made he made it through the whale. Uh, 
just just the front part, luckily. But I think it, it would be to a degree empowering. Um, also, al- also another way in which he was lucky is that uh, this was a humpback whale and not a toothed whale like a sperm whale, which a, a sperm whale, according to experts, is the only whale that would be likely capable of actually swallowing a human being and you would have an unpleasant death in its series of stomachs. But there is no documented case of this happening. There are other cases of people getting <laughs> getting in a whale's mouth to the irritation of both the whale and the human and then and then emerging, surviving. So I I would say, you know, probably case by case basis, but I, I would say this would feel empowering to look out on the ocean and be like, ha ha, I got away. Did you guys already mention his 2001 encounter with another crazy experience? No. So according to a Reddit uh, thread and ask me anything that he did, he says that in 2001, he survived a plane crash, like actually survived a deadly plane crash. And the same whale was on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) My thought is if he survived that, Mm-hmm. that's when you have that kind of moment where you're like, you know what? Every moment counts. We, we got this. Then to survive the whale, I don't know. This guy should probably become a superhero, uh, right? Isn't that what should happen? Yeah. That at at happen. least buy a lottery ticket at the very least, <laughs> you know? Oh, apparently the, the nurse came up to him and asked him for his lottery numbers. Like, like, like she had like a pen and paper. Now, that, that was the thing he said on the AMA. The nurse came up and everyone wanted to talk to him, of course. Like, what a story. Good Lord. Like, I, I, what a story. And, and you're right to have, uh, to have also survived a plane crash like that. Oh, one, one other little detail. The water off the coast of Cape Cod, which is where he was, um, are very murky. Ooh. So the whale likely wouldn't have seen him. And when the whales feed and they unhinge their jaws like that, they can't see anything because their giant mouths are in the way. Uh, so kind of a perfect storm uh, of, of circumstances that led to a harrowing encounter with nature that ultimately uh, is, is just going to be a great story to tell at parties. And to borrow something that the, the, the dudes on uh, uh, Weekly Weird News said about the story, uh, you probably will never have to buy a drink again, ever. You're the whale guy? Whoa, let me get you a beer. That's yeah, so his funny. Tinder dates are going to be riveted. <laughs> I would put that in his like profile, like right there. The whale guy from the internet. You know the one. Oh, uh, that, you know, that now I'm foreseeing a, uh, a real deep dilemma for him, like a few years down the road. And he'll be, he'll be thinking, does this person really like me or do they just like fish? Why do they keep asking me? <laughs> To go to the aquarium with them. I can see it. He is, uh, I do believe he is, he is married. Sorry, everyone. Uh, and he has two children. His, when he thought he was dying, his last thoughts were of his two kids. So to that other, to that other point, yeah, I think now that he's on the other side of this encounter, uh, he definitely is, how did you put it, Matt? He's appreciating each moment. There you go. I think so. All right, we're going to take another quick break uh, for a word from a sponsor, and then we'll be back with one more message from you. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places and we are back we are jumping to an email that was sent to us by someone we are going to lovingly refer to as Nada, as in Nada Sock Puppet Uh, Uh, we're going to keep this person anonymous for reasons you will very soon understand and this message comes to us in response to our episode we made on InQtel. You remember InQtel? It's the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency's venture capital arm. It's their it's their <laughs> VC Adventure Time place, <laughs> where they invest in technology, individuals, and companies that will allow them to have an edge on all of their adversaries, potential enemies, and friends. <laughs> 
or frenemies, as Ben, you like to call all others that are not the nation state <laughs> with which you are operating. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, no, no, you're right. I stand by that. Exactly. I think, I mean, I do too. Um, let's begin. It says, hey guys, I just listened to the latest cast and wow, it had my bells ringing. InQtel, bing, keyhole, bing, bing, bing. I worked for a company called Visual Sciences. It was bought in, I think sometime 2009 by an analytics company called Omniture and they rebranded the software as Insights. Now, if anyone else's bells are ringing by hearing those keywords, uh, stick with us. <laughs> this, that's Matt talking. Okay, let's go back to not a sock puppet. Visual Sciences, that's a capital V, capital S, was based in Herndon, Virginia, not far from Dulles Airport. It was basically an analytics engine on steroids. It could pivot to deal with any type of data as long as it had a data type which you could create, and a timestamp. I used to call it, quote, digital Lego, because you could build it out of the box or with some smarts, make it do pretty much anything with data classification. Visual Sciences was part-funded privately and co-funded by InQtel. Refer to articles attached for more detail, and uh, there are two articles attached which we will get into. I joined midway through an expansion phase as they sought new markets in the UK. And Nada, you continue by saying, without getting too far into the tech, you could ingest a huge amount of data quickly. Think eBay-sized data sets. They were a client. And then in that data you've loaded, get to a single record or group of records in a matter of seconds. This was done using its very flexible ingestion algorithms and the proprietary way it stored and retrieved data. Think no SQL instead of select blah from to where, etc. Databases before they were a thing. It was a very flexible architecture and the limitation was only the processing power and the IO. If you chained enough servers together, it could expand out to in, by which you mean insert any number here. I built the largest civilian build for a British broadcasting company that is not the BBC, and that was about 22 servers. Think about how much computing that is. Pre-cloud, says Nada, this was unheard of. And then, Do you think that's Sky or Panorama? What do you think that is? No, ooh. BBC is Panorama. It's just, it's got to be Sky, right? I, I mean, I would suspect. But so he says, uh, what is so interesting about visual sciences? Think about a lot of data processed quickly data retrieval down to a single record very quickly, data such as web browsing behavior. Sure. And he's got a mm, here, phone mm -hmm. calls, he says. So this, this makes it much more easy to track and correlate people. You can see why Intel would, InQtel rather, would be into this because visual sciences could group and create dimensions and display them graphically in tables, graphs, charts, whatever, and geolocations on maps. Mm, exactly what we were talking about. We kind of just briefly mentioned it, the whole Google Earth creation thing on that episode about InQtel. Mm -hmm. So we're getting some confirmation here. Not confirmation. We had confirmation. We're getting uh, inner workings and details, right? We got some backup. Thanks. thanks yes. for, here comes the cavalry. The cavalry is not a. Oh, and my drawer just opened on its own. So NSA, if you're into opening drawers remotely now, I, I see you. <laughs> it's more like a poltergeist situation there, Ben. 
Well, hey, Poltergeist, NSA, what's the difference? Let's continue on. Nada continues and says we could map and overlay data to locations with resolutions you could not believe. This is all before Google Maps could do this. And I think VS was possibly the first app to link with keyhole geolocation and imaging data before Google Earth. We used to joke in-house that the maps were straight from the satellite and we would get data refreshes often. When I would show the software to clients, we would get wows on the geo piece, and we'd get questions about where we got these map meshes. Don't forget, Nada adds, this stuff was not available to most people at this point in time. I would reply with some theater and say, the CIA, if people question this. And then we would mention InQtel, and it was actually a great selling point. We needed it because this software, Nada says, was eye-wateringly expensive. So, okay, you can see that it has nefarious applications, but was it used by the U.S. government? Dramatic pause. Yes, he says. I was there. To continue, for two weeks, I would get in a car and drive with two colleagues to Fort Meade, Maryland, Guess the agency. Uh, we were not allowed any devices and would digitally disappear for a few hours. Uh, we would go into a room with whiteboards, etc. Several agency employees would do a round robin of asking us questions around configuration and sometimes specific questions on sorting algorithms. Uh, at no time were we allowed to see the software or the data. So these questions were all hypothetical. It was ridiculous. At one point, we asked for a laptop so we could load up code or expressions to help show them examples to assist in answering the questions. We were never allowed to take the USB keys away with us. We had, I think, five meetings until the geeks at the agency, I love that, had enough data to run with, and we never got asked back, to my knowledge. And there's more here in this message, but we are not going to read this full thing. But I'm not a sock puppet does sign off with... uh, giving us some information with the statement. This is to prove I'm not a sock puppet. That's why we called you that. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So we can confirm anonymously that this is indeed not a sock puppet. Um, So guys, there are these links that this person sent to us that I think are worth our time. Uh, It's really just backing up visual sciences, what it was, and that it was associated with InQtel and what it could do. Um, re- really cool stuff in here. I, why don't we just let people know where they can read this stuff? Maybe that's one of the easiest ways for you to, to be armed with the information as well. Ooh. On IQT.org, which is a website we mentioned on that InQtel episode, you can find an article... Visual Sciences announces strategic investment and licensing agreement with InQtel. It's from 2004. You can find it. There's another one from the Washington Post. It is titled InQtel. That's I-N-Q-T-E-L. CIA's venture arm invests in secrets. And that is uh, from August 15th, 2005. Yeah, this is a a legitimate real story and people affiliated with visual sciences and InQtel are on public record talking about uh, how great they thought it was. This was a win-win for a lot of people, you know? Yep. Oh, there's a lot of great quotes in this article. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go into all of it today, but uh, read these articles on your own and you will see exactly what our listener uh, sent to us and was talking about. 
Yeah. Oh, can we do one quote, Matt? There's just there's yes. one quote I really like. Okay. So there's a guy named Buzzy, A.B. Krongard, who was the CIA's, well, at one time he was the CIA's number three official, and he was also a former investment banker, because like we said, once you get to the top of some structures, things inevitably, um, things inevitably intertwine. <laughs> Uh, I think yeah. it was Flannery O'Connor who said, all things arise must converge or something like that. Uh, sorry, Flannery, I'm paraphrasing you. But here's a verbatim quote from Krongard about, about, uh, about this relationship. On a scale from 1 to 10, he says, I would give it an 11, referring to NQTEL. And then he adds, in, in like, with just like a, a little <laughs> hint of pettiness, he says, it's done so well that even Congress is taking credit for it. That's okay. right. Okay. Okay. I see you, Buzzy. <laughs> I mean, that's a Buzzy's a investment banker for the CIA. <laughs> you know what, I mean? what a life! What a life he must lead. Weird. What a position. My God. Ah. Well, okay. We again, we recommend you read that stuff. I just want to say thank you so much, person who wrote to us with all of that information. I don't know, man. I could read stories about people who've done cool, weird, sometimes dangerous things all day long. And uh, I, we hope you enjoy listening to them as much as we enjoy reading them and hearing from you. So again, thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who wrote in. Absolutely. And if you would like to take a page from their book, we would also love to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. You can also see us on youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Uh, it's, a, it's a wild ride. We've got a lot of videos from the very early days. And honestly, I'm, I'm surprised how many of them have held up, which is, you know, is strange to think about in these in these times. We really did hide a bunch of stuff in those videos, Ben. We have hidden it. Yeah, you hid some things in there that I haven't found yet. So so if you'd like, if you are a fan of Badger Bags or Rabbit Holes, that's that's the YouTube channel for you. If you're saying, you know, guys, the topics you delved into around surveillance and big data have me just terrified of ever being on social media, uh, then never fear. There are other ways you can contact us. One of our favorite is our official phone number. That's right. one eight three three stdwytk is the number to call. Leave a message at the sound of Ben's delightful voice, uh, and you will have three minutes to tell us a story. Make it good. And you might end up in one of these uh, listener mail episodes. Yes, for sure. And you might say, wait, you guys were just talking about AT&T and their direct connects with the NSA and all these other <laughs> yeah. it's fine. It's organizations. Fine. Why would I call you? Well, hey, we understand. You don't have to call us. There are so many different rituals you can do to, you know, either summon us or, you know, visit us in a non-corporeal fashion. Uh, one of the best ways to do this is, is the old ritual of sending an email because we have an address and this is what it is conspiracy at iheartradio.com
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 